What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We want to tell you what we know as we know it, but we just got a report in that there's been some sort of explosion at the World Trade Center in New York City. One report said, and we can't confirm any of this, that a plane may have hit one of the two towers of the World Trade Center, but again, you're seeing the live pictures here. We have no further details than that. We don't know anything about what they have concluded happened there this morning, but we're going to find out and, of course, make sure that everybody knows on the air. These are, of course, the two twin Trade Center buildings that are down at the foot of Manhattan, that they really are the beacons of New York. It was there that there was the explosion a couple of years ago uh, brought about by terrorists. We've, that's all gone through the courts. But this, we don't know anything about. We don't know about anything that has happened here other than the fact that there's obviously been a major incident there. And we're going to go to a special report now from ABC News. This is an ABC News special report. Now, by the entire ABC network, uh, Good Morning America was in progress in the East Coast and the Midwest, but we're joined by the entire network just to show you some pictures at the foot of New York City. This is at the World Trade Center. Obviously, a major fire there, and there has been some sort of explosion. We don't fully know the details. There is one report, as of yet unconfirmed, that a plane has hit of the World Trade Center, and you can see that there is smoke there coming out of at least two sides of the building. And as you said, there are two towers, the tallest structures in Manhattan, on the island of Manhattan. We're trying to get people on the telephone to see what more we can learn. We have no idea if it was a plane, was it in any sense deliberate, was it an accident? It does seem to be that there is considerable and, and truly terrifying damage on some of those floors at the top. This angle is a little deceptive. As you know, there are two Trade Center towers, and the second tower there is hidden behind uh, the first. This is uh, really almost the picture postcard of New York City. Um, it's the, uh, that and the Empire State Building, I guess, are the two most recognizable symbols of New York. There you can see uh, the two, well, we had there for just briefly the other angle of the World Trade Center towers, but this is uh, confined to one of the towers on the upper floors. Uh, these buildings, uh, I think they're 110 stories each, so this would be in the uh, in the top 15 or 20 floors there. You mentioned earlier that, of course, as we all know, years ago there was that terrorist attack. It took place down on the ground and in the underground levels and the garage levels. Uh, but again, that's not to imply that we have any reason at this point to believe that this is, this is terrorism or not. We simply don't know. Ladies and gentlemen of America, you have reached AJC Radio tonight as tonight we take a moment to remember as the anniversary of 9-11 uh, has arrived, we want to take a look back. And some people may ask the question, what is it, why is it necessary to remember? It is necessary because at a time when tragedy struck this nation, 
at its highest level, America came together. We find ourselves in unfamiliar territory today as politics, as uh, fighting, hate, racism, all the things that on that day on 9-11 did not seem to matter. Only one thing mattered and that was America was facing a crisis. Death at a number that had never hit this nation before. Tonight we will take a look back at 9-11, the moments, the heroes, and those we will, we will remember that lost their lives. This is AJC Radio. Tonight we remember 9-11, we shall never forget. special thank you to all of those that decided to uh, listen to this show tonight. We appreciate it. And I'll tell you what, most people, if you ask them the question, uh, what were you doing when the towers were hit? I'm going to ask that question tonight as we go around. I'm Lamont Banks along with Kendrick Barnes, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Cliff, Bar Cliff Stewart, excuse me, and Dennis Merritt is out tonight. And William, I'll ask, start with you. What do you remember going on at that moment when this took place? I remember being at work that day. I was working, and we had just got in the office good. And um, all of a sudden, there was a lot of calamity. People were talking. They said, Have you seen this? Have you heard this? What's going on? You know, so all of a sudden, it, it was a lot of chatter, you know, and uh, people were trying to scurrying, trying to figure out what's going on. You could see the concern in people's faces because people, you know, a lot of people re realized after the fact that there was loved ones that were in these areas that could have been immediately impacted. So people were immediately thinking about their family and loved ones that are on the East Coast. And But you saw the concern, the horrific concern. And then once details started to unroll, unfold, excuse me, and roll out throughout the news media and the clips we started to see, you know, it became really, really evident that this was just something we'd never seen before you know and they let everybody go home from work mm -hmm. and I remember standing outside in my yard and, and it was it was I got home and I looked up at the sky and it was for the first time it was a really eerie feeling because there was no the aircraft traffic there was nothing you know because at that point they they grounded um, most of the commercial airlines and so you could look up in the sky and not see any any you know, trails from planes and things like that. And the reality of that video playing in your mind, watching the planes go into the towers. And I, I, I just, I'd never, you know, I could not, um, I could not forget that image. I could not forget that video. And that's what kept playing with me and I, sure. playing in my mind. And it just stayed with me. I don't know for how long, but it was, um, it was hard to forget. Samson. Yeah, I remember I, um, I was working at a restaurant at the time and, you know, just opening up and everything else like that. And like William was saying, I mean, it was everywhere across every news channel, across everything. And um, while they didn't shut the restaurant down, I mean, it was a completely somber day um, for everyone that was there throughout the entire day. And I remember 
um, having friends and everyone, you know, people that I graduated with still, you know, in contact with, and they were all rushing down to recruiting stations. It didn't matter what branch of service. They were just going down there because this happened, and they felt like there was an immediate response that was needed. And so, I mean, it it's probably one of the most, if not the most horrific thing I've ever had to go through in my life as far as just a day where... I mean, the entire town felt like a ghost town. Like, nobody wanted to go out. Nobody wanted to do anything. And, I mean, people were instantly in a state of, of fear. But right after that, you know, that, that whole rolling sense of patriotism came out in everybody. You know, on September 12th, like, the the unity of America came shining through. with People going out, being generous to one another, going out, helping one another, and and truly, sh- you know, showing what America was made of, not sure. what we were in today. Sure. Kendrick? Uh, I distinctly remember that. So there's there's two incidents that happened in this country that I, that I distinctly remember. One is 9-11, and the second one was the Columbine shooting. They had, they had a very uh, shocking but unifying, uh, basically, uh, uh, attribute to them but I remember waking up that morning I was about to go to work and we were I was working at Compaq and uh, Compaq Computer and we were I remember looking at the news and the news kept rerunning that the first tower had been hit and they really didn't understand what was going on and I remember distinctly as I'm watching the news and you're kind of like I was confused I was like man is this real then they then the the footage started coming in of the second plane coming into the tower and then that's when it became then that's when uh, they really realized this is a terrorist attack and they really were like letting people know no this isn't just because at first they thought maybe an errant plane had ran into one of the first tower it was a mistake or something like that but when the second one hit they really were aware that no this is definitely a terrorist attack Mm -hmm. and that event there kind of put the country in a state of shock but it also not only united united the country but it united the world because it made people realize you just can't do wrong at that scale. You should never do wrong on any scale, but that that was a line that was crossed. When you just you're attacking innocent people, you you have no dis you have no regard for the aftermath. And I remember that distinctly because once that incident happened, it affected the country for for years. I mean, the economy uh, was hindered. It was hard to find work. I mean, there was, it just, it just put a real dent in what it meant to be an American at that time. So that's something I would never forget. No, without question. And and to Samson's point, what has happened to this country since 9-11, as, as we talk about the unity of a nation and where we find ourselves today with hate and discord and rhetoric and it is unbelievable and it is a tragedy in my opinion that it takes a tragedy of that magnitude to bring a a nation together how soon do we forget we say and we have slogans that say we will never forget but we find ourselves as a country to have forgotten the unity the concern, the care, how people come together when people are fighting for their lives. But where is the unity when we have immigrants coming across to America and drowning in the arms of a little baby in the arms of her father? 
Where is the coming together then? Those are questions that we must ask ourselves as a nation. If we truly look back and if we truly remember and if we truly say we will not forget, that is dictated in our actions. And this country is failing right now in this country. A country, a nation divided. They're divided. White supremacy and people dying at the hand of racism. Officers killing kids on our streets. Have we not forgot? I believe we have forgotten. And why don't we remember now? We're coming right back. This is AJC Radio, a tribute tonight. As we remember 9-11, we take a look back, not only as an organization, but as a nation. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. When news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, 
who's left? The families. Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident. Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing. Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. The focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have join the club that we didn't ask to be a part of. There's families that are not getting the help that they need. It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have. So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love, compassion, and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier. Their lives are never going to be the same, ever. But with the support of others, they will get stronger. We can help. The Christina Grimmie Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we take a sober moment if you will, a moment that's not really easy to take. We look back on 9-11, where tragedy struck this nation as a tsunami that could not be stopped. We find ourselves in a situation as a country, as a people, as a nation, where I believe we have forgotten what made America what it was supposed to be. That is all about reaching out, caring, lifting those that may not be in the position that you are in, maybe less fortunate, but taking time to care for the people of this country. And on 9-11, as we all know, one of the, if not the most horrific attack on a nation by terrorism. I think sometimes we fail to remember that there were children who lost parents on that day. There were parents who lost children. And I, think, I don't think we understand the magnitude of that loss. The next clip we're going to play for you tonight is a young girl whose father died on 9-11. She tells her story. Let's hear it. It's been a year, Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called heaven. Oh, thinking about a year. We had your favorite dinner tonight. There was only you and I ate it all young and wild and free. Even though I don't like carrots now nothing can take you away from me I learned how to swim this summer We've been down that road And I can't even open my eyes over now When I'm underwater You can make a man back for more Can you see me? I miss 
you, Daddy. Maybe you're all that I want when you're lying here in my arms. Finding it hard to believe we're in heaven. It's been five years, Daddy. Love is all that I need. I'm in fifth grade now. Sleep in one of your t-shirts. Oh, once in your life, find someone. I think it still smells like you. Turn your world I don't need to sleep with the light on anymore. Up when you're feeling down. I'm trying not to cry, Daddy, but it's nothing can change what you mean to me. I really miss you, Daddy. There's a love that I could say. Just hold me now. Can you see me? It's been 10 years, Daddy. Maybe you're all that I, want. I started high school. You're lying here in my arms. I made the honor roll. It hard to I hope you're proud of me. I'm also on the soccer team. Love is all that I need. Can you see me on the field? And I found it there. I started thinking about college. Do you think I can be a doctor? down the aisle I've been waiting for so long I try not to be sad to but it hurts love to come alone. I hope you know you're my hero I love you so much now our dreams are coming true can you see me can you see It's been 15 years, Daddy. Maybe you're all that I want. I'm finishing college. When you're lying here in my arms. I got into med school. Finding it hard to believe. I really want to help people. In heaven. You have always inspired me. Love is all that I need. I met a nice guy. And I found it there in your Who is really special to me. It isn't too hard to I think you would really like him. We talk about our life together. Mom says he's a lot like you. I think about you every day. I'm still sad. But you make me strong. Can you see me? Can you see me? I miss you, Daddy. I really miss you, Daddy. I miss you, Daddy. I miss you, Daddy. heart-wrenching the voice and the story of a little girl who had to say goodbye. Not of a normal situation, a act of terror that shook a nation. At 9-11 Memorial, new unnamed slabs to salute those whose actions in time of need led to their deaths. When the names of nearly 3,000 September 11 victims are read aloud, which would have happened yesterday, um, 
at the World Trade Center, a half dozen stacks of stone will quietly salute an untold number of people who aren't on that list. The granite slabs were installed on the Memorial Plaza this spring. They recognized an initially unseen toll of the 2001 terrorist attacks, firefighters, police, and others who died or fell ill after exposure to toxins unleashed in the wreckage. The unusual addition reflects a memorial that is evolving as the aftermath of 9-11 does. And for families like Joanna Reisman, the new 9-11 Memorial Glade gives their loved ones a place in the landscape of remembrance at Ground Zero. A firefighter's widow, she emphasizes that the losses thousands of families suffered on September 11 were horrific. And I quote, we just have to recognize that there were others too, said Reisman, whose 54-year-old husband, Lieutenant Stephen Reisman, searched through the World Trade Center debris for remains and then died in 2014 of brain cancer. He was 54. Subtle and sculptural, the Memorial Glade features six stone pieces inlaid with steel salvage trade center steel. Unlike the plaza's massive waterfall pools memorizing people killed on 9-11, those whose names are read at anniversary ceremonies, the boulders are not inscribed with the names of those they honor. There is no finite list of them, at least not yet. Instead, nearby signs dedicate the glade to those whose actions in our time of need led to their injury, sickness, and death. And that is including first responders, recovery workers, survivors, community members at the attack sites at the Trade Center at the Pentagon in near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So when you think of that, William, not, no name written, uh, unnamed heroes that lost their lives. You're gonna hear momentarily the story of, of Barack Obama telling the story of the man with the red handkerchief, I believe is how he categorized it. Uh, William, when you hear this, I believe we asked the question at the beginning of this show, why is it important to remember? Because we need to understand as we find ourselves where we are as a country today that sometimes you need to reflect back to bring things into perspective. And when I hear that little girl tell that story of her father, 15 years later, however long it was, it, she is heartbroken because her daddy was taken. Give me your thoughts on that. You know, just thinking about it, you listen to that clip and it, it really brings to light how quick things can happen. You know, a little girl said goodbye to her dad that morning with every hope and dream of seeing him when he comes home to not see him again, you know. That people with a malicious <clears throat> hatred act took the lives of 2,700 plus Americans are, are, are people, let me put it that way. And th that forever changed and impacted those lives immediately, but the lives of all those around, you know, even as you were talking, those that died years later due to um, health issues from toxins that they, that they breathed in or the environment, the, the heroic efforts that they put forth to run into those buildings and do what they could to try to rescue people only to lose their lives years later because 
because of their act of uh, those acts. It's amazing to think that life changes can change that quickly. And when you said that, you said, you know, you talked about don't forget. You know, we, we need to remember. We need to remember that just in those moments that we take for granted, things can change and lives can change and people that we that we love our loved ones that we said goodbye to this morning on the way out the door it's sad as it sounds it's it's the reality that we live that event as they talked about it covered it on the news everybody relates to where they were at the time they this you know we saw this we were impacted as a nation those in Iowa, those in Nevada, those in California, those in Ohio, Indiana, there was, there was no one that was not impacted by what they saw in Pennsylvania, in D.C., and in New York City. Well, I've heard it said before, it was the day that America stood still. The day that the clock stopped. Um... We had people on this show, I believe Bernard Carrick, former New York City Police Commissioner, talked about how people came together. You're gonna hear some of those sounds. I warn you, um, they're hard to listen to. Samson, your thoughts? Yeah, just compared to where we are now and then where we were then, I mean, the day of, the days, weeks, and months after the attacks of 9-11, this country was never more unified than we were then. Now, you give it 18 years later, you know, basically an entire generation comes comes by, and there's so much hate, there's so much malice, and there's so many reasons why people go after each other that, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that we were once that unified, you know, in this century, we were that unified. But now, again, it takes less than 20 years and, and where are we at? Well, and we need to look back and we need to say, look, what, what, what really matters? Uh, I don't care if, uh, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Middle Eastern, European, your life mattered on that day. That's true. Nobody asks, oh, is the one trapped under that slab of concrete, is he black? Is he white? Those questions weren't asked. You saw soldiers that went in there to save lives. And I call them soldiers because that's exactly what they were. Uh, President Barack Obama told the story of the soldier and the hero. In his death, was in and out of those towers trying to save as many people as he could, but he couldn't save his own life. Let's hear the clip. families of the fallen. In those awful moments, after the South Tower was hit, some of the injured huddled in the wreckage of the 78th floor. The fires were spreading. The air was filled with smoke. It was dark. And they could barely see. It seemed as if there was no way out. 
then there came a voice, clear, calm, saying he had found the stairs. A young man in his 20s, strong, emerged from the smoke and over his nose and his mouth, he wore a red handkerchief. He called for fire extinguishers to fight back the flames. He tended to the wounded. He led those survivors down the stairs to safety and carried a woman on his shoulders down 17 flights. Then he went back, back up all those flights, then back down again, bringing more wounded to safety. Until that moment when the tower fell. They didn't know his name. They didn't know where he came from. But they knew their lives had been saved by the man in the red bandana. Again, Mayor Bloomberg, distinguished guests, Mayor de Blasio, Governors Christie and Cuomo, families and survivors of that day. To all those who responded with such courage, on behalf of Michelle and myself and the American people, uh, it is honor for us to join in your memories. To recall and to reflect, but above all, to reaffirm the true spirit of 9-11. Love, compassion, sacrifice, and to enshrine it forever in the heart of our nation. story uh, of um, courage, heroism. Kenneth, when you hear that, um, how proud his family uh, must be. If anybody knew him, they knew him as the red handkerchief guy. What does that speak to the spirit of this nation in the time of crisis, Kenneth? What it does show is that um, that act of terrorism had a reverse effect it was supposed to make people fear and cower and and be afraid but in situations like that like this this man here it brought out the best in what could be all over the united states and it and it kind of backfired because mm-hmm. instead of bringing uh just stories of tragedy and fear and terror that's what they wanted what you do have is lingering stories of bravery and heroism and people realizing and appreciating what is most important in life. And it isn't about money or success. It's those small things that somebody somebody helped you in your time of need. And, and those stories should be told more, and they go a longer way than, than the tragedy. Because you remember those then, then you remember who were the guys in the airplane. 
really I don't care anymore because they were foolish. I care about that after that tragedy happened with all those Americans that got up and decided, you know what, we need to join together and and help and try to and try to heal this wound that was inflicted upon this country. Oh, for sure on that. And uh, Cliff, when you, I mean, we talk about challenges of a nation and of a country. Um, I don't know one that was bigger in that moment. Um, it makes you somewhat sad uh, that America has become so divided among each other. Is it, does it have to take death and tragedy and horror to make people say, wait a minute, what am I doing? Does it take that for American people to come to themselves and realize we all matter? Have we lost our way with that? Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, I think a lot of what uh, stands out about the man with the red bandana is not only his act of heroism and his selflessness, um, you know, along with the number of lives that he saved while giving up his own, but, you know, when we look at today's world, everybody is about who they are, how much fame they can get, how many hits they can have, how many followers, uh, who's seeing them where, what their selfie looks like, and all of this nonsense. But the this man with the red bandana, he wasn't seeking fame. He wasn't seeking recognition. He wasn't trying to get his, you know, his face on social media. He was just trying to help people to the point to this day Nobody knows this man's name. They don't know who he who he was. You don't know if he had uh, any family members that he told, hey, I'm going back into this burning building. I'm gonna save as many people as I can, and I don't care what it takes. But you look at, he wasn't seeking anything except to help his fellow man. So he epitomizes the, you know, all of the accolades that you can give to the founding fathers and everything, every dream they had about America, camaraderie, fellowship, unity, um, you know, brotherhood. This man went in and said, I'll lay down my life for, for uh, I mean, we don't even know if this man was a citizen. All we know is that this was another human being with a great spirit that said, I must save as many lives as I can. Yeah. And it epitomizes not only the American spirit and what, what this nation was built off of, but the human spirit as a whole, that it is it's not just about what I can get for myself, but it's how I can help, uh, you know, help someone else. And, and as we remember 9-11, those are the things that we, you know, that we try to say, hey, this is where America needs to get back to, that we're a country with open arms. We're a country that welcomes uh, the downtrodden, the outcast, and we're here to help each other as much as we can. That's what we need to get back to in this country. Um, for sure, that is. Uh, we echo that as well. Um, on the other side of the break, the children of 9-11, pain, patriotism, in the aftermath of the deadly attack. But we remember those that were left behind. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. 
leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it too, because some veterans are being left behind. 20 of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-5673. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there. Dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Every year, almost 40 children die of heat stroke after being forgotten in a vehicle. In 70 degree weather, it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven. At 104 degrees, heat stroke begins, followed by loss of consciousness. Yeah. Should go an hour and a half or so. child live without them forever look before you lock brought to you by kids in cars when does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny why is the word abbreviation so long are english muffins just muffins in england why is it called a washing line and not a drying line do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. As tonight we remember 9-11, we shall never forget. And I'll tell you right now, there are a lot of people affected by what happened on 9-11. The children of 9-11, those, not only the children, but those that were left behind, uh, sometimes are lost in the story. As we focus on the heroes and those that died, but to those that have to cope with the loss of a loved one, a father, a mother, is unimaginable. A U.S. Marine on Wednesday at the National 9-11 Pentagon Memorial writes this. A ceremony at the 9-11 Memorial in New York City this morning, and this was yesterday, uh, September 11th, 2019, honored the nearly 3,000 Americans killed in the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001. It's also a day to remember the people they left behind. Katie Honan and Catherine Lucy of the Journal Report, for many of the loved ones of the victims, time hasn't eased their pain. LaShawn Clark was one of the dozens of relatives who took part in the reading the victims' names on Wednesday at the ceremony in Lower Manhattan. Her husband of 15, uh, 15 years, Benjamin Caffey Clark, was a chef for the Fiduciary Trust and died trying to get people out of one of the towers when it collapsed. She was thinking of all the milestones he missed from their five children, especially their first grandchild, a girl, due October 7th. This one is kind of hard, she said through tears. One can begin to appreciate the enormous void Clark left behind when examining his obituary at Legacy.com. Cooking in the Marines is not what one might think of as the best preparation for an executive chef. But for Benjamin Clark, being a leatherneck chef was his springboard to some classes at the Cordon Bleu Cooking School and finally to Sodejo, a food services company that cooked for employees at Fiduciary Trust in Two World Trade Center. Mr. Clark was famous for his soups and meatloaf. Mr. Clark, 39, known as Kefi, was last seen on the 88th floor helping a woman with three other men. His son, Chaz, 17, saw the attack on the two towers from Stuyvesant High School, where he is a student. Samson, when you hear that, 39 years of age, um, we're hearing the stories of people going back, trying to say, not even considering or thinking, let me get out of, my, out of here myself, which in most cases, a lot of people are about self-preservation. This speaks volumes to the character of these people that, you wish they would not have died because apparently these were some pretty good people. Whenever you die in an act of heroism to save another, uh, in the time of death when you're facing it for yourself, and he's ha he had to be thinking about his kids and the one that was due to arrive any time, a month or so, probably a little under a month. But he chose still knowing the risk to go in those towers and save lives, ultimately uh, losing his own. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually does. You know, like you said, I mean, they're all soldiers. They're all heroes. The ones, they, they lay themselves aside to, like you said, they go back in time after time. You know, we talked about the guy in the red bandana. And this this gentleman, he's, I think he said he's a, a Marine Corps veteran. Um, like, 
we're taught, you know, as service members and everything else like that, when we go in to, you know, put your, you know, put your people in your, in your team, in your fire group, whatever, to put them ahead of yourself, you know, always go back, never leave a man behind. And that's the mentality that, I mean, even civilians had during these attacks, they went and, and, um, they put, they just laid their lives aside. They went in after the fellow Americans, they pulled people out. They went back time and time again. And a lot of them, unfortunately, they I mean, they, they paid the ultimate price. But the very least that we could do for these American heroes is to remember them, remember their children, remember every single person that was affected by, by these attacks. You know, the, the selfless service to a nation that these people showed is it's absolutely remarkable and commendable to the highest level. So as Mr. Clark called and sent flowers for months after until he finally won her undivided attention, Mr. Clark is talking about the romance and the love affair, really. Uh, the love story real, uh, excuse me, the love story that occurred between Mr. Clark uh, and his wife. They reminisce about this. Um, it says here on Wednesday at the Pentagon on Wednesday, President Donald Trump spoke of another family living with the losses from this horrific day. And for generations, the Vigano family has served in our military and in New York City fire and police departments. On September 11th, NYPD Detective Joseph Vigano rushed into the World Trade Center and died rescuing his fellow citizens. His brother John was a New York firefighter. He also gave his life that day at Ground Zero. At the time, Joseph's three sons were just young boys, ages 8, 6, and 3 months old. This morning, they are with us. The youngest, John, just started his freshman year of college at Sunny Maritime College, and he plans to join the military. Joseph Jr. is a Marine reservist, and just like his father, he is a proud member of the NYPD. And James is a corporal in the Marines. On his last deployment, James was stationed on the USS New York, a ship made using 24 tons of steel from the World Trade Center. Every time he left the mess hall on his way to his bunk, he passed a picture of his dad. I mean, you're talking about a sobering. I don't think we understand. I don't think we get it. And they go further to say today and every day we pledge to honor our history, to treasure our liberty, to prove worthy of our heroes, and above all, stronger than ever, to never, ever forget. That, that's critically, critically important. Um, these are the things that really wrench the heart. And William, as you was talking earlier, when, when we talk about uh, the divide of a, of a nation, the racism, the hate, on this day, none of that matters. None of it matters. And I guarantee you, there is no question with somebody a citizen of the United States that when we ask that question on 9-11, well, do they have papers? Well, are they part of the dreamers? Well, should they be here legally? Were any of those questions asked on that day? All we saw were heroes. We saw, and who knows, who all went to that building that we don't even know about. That is one of the 2,700 souls that perished that day uh, at the Twin Towers. Right now, let's play for you
the horrific sounds of 9-11. This day should be a day of reflection and remembrance only. A plea from one of the podiums at this year's 9-11 ceremony where politicians observe but do not speak and the names of the dead are recited to underline the enormity of our collective loss. Six times the bells toll for each major event on the painful timeline starting with the first tower struck. There is a moment of silence and the reading of the names resumes. Each of the readers speaks of someone they knew. My brother, firefighter Michael Francis Lynch. We know you were rescuing people in an elevator, second tower, first to go down. A widow speaks to her fallen husband. You have given me the greatest gift in our son, who makes me proud every day and is a reflection of you. Children speak to their missing father. Thirteen years ago yesterday, you put me to bed not knowing it, was your, it would be your last time. I miss you so much. Daddy, you're my hero. I love you. Dad, thank you for always being there with us. The youngest of us cannot even remember the day it happened, yet labor to find bonds with those who were taken. Thirteen years ago, I was born on my grandmother's birthday. She made my mom promise for us to share every birthday together. We, we never had that chance to do that, but the gift of me being born on our birthday is eternal. I wish you were here right now. Can I wish I had more memory of you? Speaking on the floor of the United States Senate, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer 
offered more appropriate remarks. We mourn those we lost, but we also recognize that in the aftermath of September 11th, the resiliency of the American people, the resiliency of New Yorkers shone through one of our darkest hours in our country. Looking back remains difficult even after 18 years. I ride my bike through the city of New York. Every fifth or sixth street is named after a firefighter or a police officer who died. In some parts of Brooklyn, Bay Bridge, places like that, I'll never forget. I think of it all the time. That day after when President Bush sent Senator Clinton and I to go up to New York in planes, we were the only planes in the sky. An airliner had us surrounded by F-18s and F-16s, and we landed and went down to the site the smell of death and burnt flesh in the air. And this thing that I will never forget, a thousand people lined up, no one knew who lived and who had died. With little signs, have you seen my mother, Mary? Have you seen my son, Bill? I remember the generosity of New Yorkers. A man who owned a shoe store right north of the towers gave out free shoes to everybody who was fleeing. Many of them had lost their shoes in the long trek down the stairs. I remember the valor of the first responders who rushed to the towers. I remember the firefighter from Staten Island, Staten Island, based in Brooklyn, went to his firehouse, put his full gear on, ran to the tunnel with about 60 to 70 pounds of gear on. He was on his day off, but he knew he was called. He went up the stairs of the World Trade Center and was crushed when the towers collapsed. May God continue to bless this resilient nation. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. I wanted to be in the military since I was, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody, it'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. Or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak 
from behind the wall. Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention. Attention from older guys is totally flattering. They're so much more mature and understanding than the guys might. Age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really interested. Interested in the same things I am. You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about chatting. Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with me. Meeting them is the goal. Once I get them out of their house, well, that's when things get really interesting. Online predators know what they're doing. Do you? Please have a seat. I'll be honest. Your resume is not what I'm used to. I know. Okay, so what would you bring to my company? What do you need? I need a hard worker. Good. I've got two part-time jobs and to help my parents pay the bills. I need problem-solving skills. I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot, and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we have reflected and we have looked back to remember the price paid on the nation that was extremely too high to be paid. Acts of terror by terrorists who hate America that sought out to shed the blood of the innocent at the Twin Towers in New York City. What I read to you prior to the break was comments from Senator Chuck Schumer, who I count as a true hero of the people uh, in this country. And one thing about Senator Schumer, you never have to wonder where his emotions lie. For the hurting, the less fortunate, those that may be suffering uh, undue pain and unnecessary pain, I have seen and followed Senator Schumer for many years. And his courage and his compassion for people is overwhelming. So William, when you hear the words of Senator Schumer, uh, says that he remembers 
This is what we talk about when we talk about we shall never forget. I can't imagine a mother, a father, a sister, a brother to endure the knowledge of knowing your loved one was somewhere trapped in that building. To live with that is absolutely probably the most painful thing you can imagine. We deal with death in our lives in a normal sense when someone dies we are overwhelmed with grief but you don't want to believe that they suffered or they hurt or they felt this or felt that I cannot imagine what a horrific emotion feeling and probably every day because death has a sense to make you feel absolutely helpless Absolutely. I mean, you know, and even to add to what you just said, a sudden loss, a sudden loss, the grief from a sudden loss, at least my experience, is a lot heavier than, a, than watching someone that, it, that a loved one that is experiencing an illness and, and um, you know, gracefully passes away is different. But, but, you know, when you listen to what Chuck Schumer was talking about, he talking about the the names of firefighters, on you know immortalized on streets and and different other landmarks. You know it's important to remember. So when those that that come after that were born after 9/11, they'll say, "Why was that street named after? Who is that person? This was this was this firefighter who lost his life saving others in 9/11." You know, that's I think that's the thing we have, you know, to your point, we have to remember, we have to have those those markers in history, those place marks in history of those that were willing to lay down their lives and run to the fire. They I mean, I mean, that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? We, we talk about this event. And for those of us that saw it, that experienced that there were moments that we saw video of as the towers collapsed. This big plume of smoke coming down the street. And you're looking at guys' backs running towards this. They were running towards the danger. Everybody we've talked about thus far tonight ran into danger to save someone else's life. Continued to run up up stairs, up flights of stairs. Or run with 60 pounds of gear on your day off. Saying I'm going to help, it was no, it was not not a debate. These people should be, you know, immortalized somewhere, somehow, their name on something. So you say, that person right there, that's the man with the red bandana. They remember him, the guy red bandana. They remember him at Boston College. He went to Boston College, and they remember him at different sporting events. And it's and it's significant because there's. Kids there, freshmen, 17, 18 years old, that heard of 9-11. They didn't experience it necessarily, you know. And so they were saying, why? Why do This is the guy. This is the character of a man that we want to celebrate. We want to remember. So initially, no one knew his name. No, no. Initially, they didn't know know his name. And later on, it was, it was, it yes. was the mystery was, was revealed. 
uh, and I th- his name was Wells, and I don't want to mispronounce his name, but I believe it's Crowther. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so even his when looking at the facts, you know, he was a working at the at an investment firm on the hundred and fourth floor. Called his mother, said, you know, I'm okay. But he was a fully qualified firefighter at age 18. So this he is the man with the red, red bandana. bandana. So, you know, you're talking about somebody that, that was, you know, from his youth he, as a teenager, wanted to help people, wanted to reach out. So at 18, he was a firefighter. And so he started to react. He said, Mama, I'm okay. Wow. That's awesome. That's big. That's big. And you have to remember somebody like that. Well, you, you have, have to. to. Uh, I can imagine that when not only the man with the red bandana went into those towers, those other heroes, first responders, what cries did they hear? What cries for help? Screams of help. Please help me. And to keep going anyway. You can't hear a cry for help and not run and try to help. I don't know how you do it. These are America's heroes, unseen heroes, those that we never know about, those that there was no big story written about that ran into those towers to save their fellow man. This is being a true patriot in the time of crisis. Voices from inside the towers on that day. Let's hear the clip. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm on the 106th floor of the uh, World Trade Center. We just had an explosion. The 106th floor? Yes. 106, okay. We have smoke and it's pretty bad. We can't get down the stairs. All right. We have about 100 people up here. Do not leave, okay? There's a fire or an explosion or something in the building. All right, now watch this. Stay where you are. Yes. All right, we're there. We're coming up to get you. See the smoke coming up from outside the windows, Jeff? All right, we're on the way. Just sit tight. All right, just sit tight. We're on the way. All right, please hurry. Christopher was our only child. It was so special. To be able to have the uh, the 911 audio was really very important. The most uh, emotional, poignant moment for me is when he asked him, "Please hurry," and thank you. To be able to have that uh, presence uh, of mind uh, under pressure like that, I thought was just remarkable. I was really proud of him. I mean, he, to be able to keep that cool and request, please hurry. I think that was his last word. The sonic record of that day, the audible record of that day, is essential because the visual record of that day is limited to the exteriors. 
They're part of the fabric of the day that we wouldn't know or have any understanding of without this sonic record. Brian Nunez was an office manager at Cantor Fitzgerald on the 104th floor of the North Tower. He was just six floors above the plane's impact. I woke up to my telephone ringing. I worked nights at the time, so I didn't want to be bothered. And then my cell phone rang again. And I'm like, I'm not going to answer it. First saved message. Hey, yeah, it's Brian. A plane crashed into the trade center. Tom, they don't fly. And I'm in it. And I can't breathe. Tell everyone I love them. I don't get an idea. End of message. Brian left that message, and that must have been the first or second phone call that I received that morning. And I mean, I just didn't realize it. Now, it's, it's really hard to struggle with, you know, what would have happened if I answered the phone? You know, but I mean, I couldn't do anything, even if I did answer it. I keep the message in an MP3 file, so I have it on CD, I have it hidden away in a safe, I have it, you know, on every hard drive I have. I have it, like, everywhere, just so that nothing happens to it. It's Brian's last words. One of the reasons why recordings were made was so people could record their last words. You know, I mean, I think it gives me a little bit of guidance. I, like, draw from Brian's strength when I hear the message. Melissa Harrington Hughes was a business executive attending a meeting on the 101st floor of the North Tower. I just want to let you know I love you and I'm stuck in this building in New York. There's lots of smoke and we just wanted you to know that I love you always. Melissa was in New York for just one day. September 11th started like any other morning. Woke up, put a pot of coffee in. I was making the bed and the telephone rang. Well, I don't usually answer the phone, but this morning I did. It was my daughter, Melissa. I knew she was in New York. She was only going to be there that Tuesday. When the merger was done, she was flying back to California the next day. Melissa was a little hysterical. I told her, honey, you have to slow down so that your father can understand what the problem is. She got her composure, said to me, Dad, I'm on the 101st floor of the World Trade Center, and a bomb just went off. In my bedroom was a TV set. I turned it on, happened to be on CNN. I saw the fire. I saw the smoke. I was heartbroken. She told me the fire wasn't her major concern, but there was an awful lot of smoke. So I said to her, honey, I said, can you see an exit sign? She said, yes, Dad. And I said, well, under all the exit signs, honey, are stairwells. I said, you get to that stairwell as fast as you can and get out of the building. It was very unusual that people outside had almost a greater sense of alarm and urgency than the people inside who were in the dark. Families were seeing the billowing smoke and the flames licking up the side of the building. It was just a terrible 
responsibility for the people on the outside to have to say it's worse than you think. In the North Tower, Michelle Cartier, an executive assistant, had just started her day. I just felt like this day was just not going to end right. It was just not, a, not going to be a good day. And little did I know that it would be a, a day that changed the rest of my life. Went to work that morning, um, worked at World Trade Center 1 for Lehman Brothers. We were based on the 40th floor. Started going through my emails. It was a normal routine, preparing for the day. And the next thing I know, the building moves. And I could hear the computers sizzling. Then the whole floor just evacuates. Michelle's brother James was also working that day in the Twin Towers, but in the South Tower. In his job as an electrician, James Cartier moved between different floors. The only thing that I wanted to do was to find out where James was. Even though he was four years younger, he always had that older brother role in taking care of everybody. As part of a large, close family growing up in Queens, James used to go biking with his older brother, John. John was teaching James how to, how to ride the motorcycle, so they, they, have, they shared that passion and love for the motorcycle. John was working nearby when James called him from the South Tower. He called me to say that Tower One had been hit by a plane. He could see the smoke um, and that Michelle, my sister, was in Tower One and he didn't know what floor she was on. So, you know, we immediately went into, you know, um, family mode, you know. And uh, I, uh, I said to my brother James, had I known it were my last words, I would have probably chose better words. But, you know, I just told him, I'll meet you on the street and, and I'll be there. As we were descending, um, people were helping one another, you know, just regular everyday workers just helping each other get down the stairs. And I remembered saying to myself, well, as soon as I get to the last step and I get outside, I'll try him again. All of a sudden, in this crowd of thousands of people, I look up and I see my brother John. John was at the World Trade Center because he had received a phone call from his brother James who was on one of the higher floors of the South Tower. Their plan was to meet and find Michelle. Now, I wouldn't have been there at all had he not called me. But his thoughts weren't of himself. His thoughts were of my sister, and that we, as her brothers, have a job to do now, to go get her and get her out of there. Fifteen minutes after the North Tower was hit, most people in the South Tower Tower 2 were still at their desks. Brad Fetchett, an equities trader, was one of them. Hey mom, it's Brad. Uh, just wanted to call and let you know. I'm sure that you heard that a plane crashed into World Trade Center 1 or 5 or in World Trade Center 2. 
I'm not obviously alive and well over here, but uh, obviously a pretty scary experience. I saw a guy fall out of probably the 91st story all the way down. So you're welcome to give a call here. I think uh, we'll be here all day, but uh, I'll give me a call back later. Love you. He was trying to reassure us that he was okay. But you could tell as he cleared his voice when he talked about seeing someone fall from the 91st floor that there was a lot of fear in his voice. It's available anytime I want to play it back. It's there. I hear it and I know it. I, I know it and uh, I'm still very fragile to listen to it. And so I'm comforted to know it's there, but I don't, I don't listen to it. Charlie Carraher, a systems analyst for Morgan Stanley, worked on the 68th floor in the South Tower. I, I just backed up my chair and looked out, and I, I could see, like, the window looking out over uh, New Jersey. And it actually looked like snow. There were so many pieces of paper, it actually looked like snow. There's a group of about 10 of us uh, standing, um, looking north towards uh, the Empire State Building, and there was like a lot of smoke, it was almost like clouds, and all of a sudden this, uh, this, um, this person pops out of it. And he just made it look so easy, he just, he seemed so calm, he just like looked to the left, to the right, and then two people jumped. And uh, as the lady passed by the window, she made eye contact, you could see through the windows, and that, that really spooked me. I mean, you can, um, you can communicate a lot by just, you know, with, uh, with your eyes. And I had to get away from the window. They started, you know, making a choice. You know, burn to death at 2,000 degrees or jump. There you have it. Last calls made to family members. As tragedy struck the Twin Towers, it is critically important that reflection happen. Critically important that the human spirit be revived to kindness and caring. William, when you hear those clips, I mean, it wrenches you so deep into your heart. The last words. And the young lady said her brother tried to remain calm, not to cause worry in his closing moments. This is what you have in a world where hate is allowed. Hate never ceases to grow if you feed it. The terrorists that attacked this nation 
we're motivated by hate. When hate is the in the equation, there is no children, women, the innocent. Not where hate is fed. Your thoughts of voices from inside the tower is what you just heard. You know, it. Um, I think the first call to hear a voicemail from a loved one, you missed, missed that call, you know. And to think what would, um, this would have to be a, a ton of regret. And I think in the clip he said, she puts a, he puts that clip on all his computers and things and never, you know, hasn't deleted it, won't delete it, just to remember the voicemail. He said, you know, he was asleep. He doesn't answer the phone then. And there's so much, you know, you sit there and you think, well, what happened if I would have, if I could have answered the phone? What, what could I have said? What should I have said? What could I have done? You know, you, as a human, you sit there and you say, you know, you, you, what if yourself to death, but you, you're dealing with grief. You're dealing with what, sh- what could I have said? What should I have said? What would have been my last words to a loved one? And all those things, the father that, that was, you know, his daughter called and, and he could only, you could only imagine what he's sitting there thinking. It's like, honey, look for an exit sign. Okay, if you find an exit sign. You know, but you're talking to people that are on the 106th floor, the 104th, 101st floor. The wreck happened below them. So getting down was probably virtually impossible. I mean, you're talking about structural damage. The, the girl said, Daddy, there's a bomb. I, there, a bomb went off. Or the guy that was in the building next door said, he's looking at the tower and seeing people fall willingly fall to the I mean these are just horrific memories and thoughts you know that that will that we should not forget Absolutely. And to, to your point of hatred we have seen here recently you know these mass shootings fed by hate this was the ultimate that we've seen in our lifetime, our generation. To, to say, to take and change, basically they changed the world at that moment. And like you said, the U.S. stood still in awe of this. The people, those that ran into that building, tried to save lives, those that were there, even days later, digging into rubble, looking for people. Samson, your thoughts? Yeah, as I was listening to the story about um, the young man that tried to, you know, the clip where he was trying to reassure his mother that, oh, it hit, it hit Tower 1, but we're in Tower 2, we're okay. Just how oblivious that young man really was to what was what was about to happen to him and just trying his best to reassure his family that you know hey it just happened there i'm i'm okay but then when he mentions the fact that a lady like like william said that a jump made eye contact that that's when everything became truly real to him it's like people are in droves are losing their lives today based on as he mentioned an act of hatred an act of hatred that, I mean, it still, it still reverberates to our country today. You know, we talk about the children. We talk about the loved ones lost. We talk about all this stuff. 
for most people they they've they've let it go but there there's a large group of people that they they still haven't forgotten they we will never forget what happened you know 18 years ago that completely changed the landscape of our nation kendrick your thoughts uh it's just it's when you hear that it puts it all perspective because you don't know what you would do until you're there mm-hmm. and some of some of the calls they were so calm and you're but then you have to realize this man is realizing he's going to die mm-hmm. and how do you you don't know how you're going to react until you're there and he very calmly was resigned he wanted to call and just say his last words to somebody left a message I don't know how he felt that I didn't even get to reach anybody did he feel assured that you know at least I left a message Right. I mean how do, how do you feel I mean and then you don't know what's going on I mean you, if you, I can't imagine what it was like if you're in that building like they're they're confused they're thinking it's a bomb you don't know what to do you don't know uh, where where the stairs are no one thought the buildings were going to come down mm-hmm. I mean they probably thought of you know maybe a fire lose a few out. lives but yeah. you didn't think the whole two whole buildings would just go down it's just it's just I mean you you really can't even though you hear how they're what they're doing and saying you still can't fathom what would you do if you were there it's just it's a uh, it's just heartbreaking it really really is cliff your thoughts yeah, it just really makes you think about the things that are important in life. I mean, these people, uh, you know, all they wanted was to um, ensure their families and, and tell their families to, you know, be okay if they didn't make it. And it, it has to remind us that, you know, the important things in life that... Um, you know, at that time, the, the, the people, they weren't thinking about their careers. They weren't thinking about the issues on the job. They, I mean, nothing except, you know, I want to make sure my family is okay. I want to make sure that if I don't make it, that they they know that I love them and and that, and that they can go on without me. It, it makes you realize that, you know, looking at America today and all the things that we deal with and all the the uh the hatred that's that goes on and i mean every negative thing that if we can just say hey you know put it into perspective and and remember the important things remember the things that really really matter family who you love who cares for you uh those things that in the end matter because that's what those those people that's what they thought about is that, you know what, I want my family to be okay. I want them to know that I love them, that if I don't get out of this, then, you know, just rest assured that um, that you made me happy during my life. And those are the important things that we have to, that we have to remember that we have to take from it and that we have to concentrate on as we go through our daily lives. Uh, definitely true words there. On the other side of the break, ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Charles Rangel, Congressman from New York came on this show and shared his thoughts of 9-11. He only had a few minutes with us, but he was definitely moved for what happened in his own backyard in New York City. You're going to hear that interview on the other side of this break as we really are slowly wrapping up 
the show we remember 9-11. We shall never, ever forget. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. struggles with hunger in America. Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impacts families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home. 
which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we take a look at the tragedy of 9-11. You know, this show has brought a lot of emotions that are, to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, is hard to contain. Um... These are heroes that we've talked about tonight. Our prayers, our thoughts continually will go out to the families of the victims of 9-11. You say, well, that's been so many years ago. But there are still people hurting. There is pain that happens in a, in a lifetime that many times will last a lifetime. Tragedies come in many different levels, phases, if you will, that the statement we must never forget is really stuck with us probably forever. There will never be another September 11 that you will not think of the tragedy that shook this nation. The lives that were lost, the cries, the tears, the pain, the emotions that only one can imagine. Let me say this to every first responder in every city and every state across this country. We say thank you for the risk, for the courage that you have to go in the face of danger, to the firefighters that many times are forgotten until there is a tragedy we say thank you tonight to every person whether you're a civilian walking down the street and you saw trouble and you ran to make a difference we say thank you we talked a few moments ago regarding congressman charles Rangel, a pillar in our nation's capital from New York. In Congress, well over, probably I believe it was over 35 years, if not longer, a Korean War veteran. Uh, we had the opportunity and the privilege to have Congressman Rangel on this show. And on this moment, he was kind of rushed. It was at the end of his day, or the middle of, he was just rushed. He said, I didn't have much time. And it takes one trip to Washington, D.C. to understand that that is exactly absolutely true. But on this day, he took a moment. 
And right now we're going to hear from the Honorable Charles Rangel, who is now retired from Congress. And I'll tell you what, they called him the Lion of Congress. Let's hear from Charles Rangel. Okay, Congressman Rangel, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity of, of joining us tonight. And uh, we thought it necessary to reach out uh, to your office as we reflect on 9-11 uh, and the tragedy that hit New York City. And we didn't think if there was anyone better uh, that could speak to it as we reflect and think about uh, what actually happened on that day. And we'd like you to share that with our listeners and, and where, we, where we are today as a nation as we try to continue to keep America safe. I'm so glad to participate in this discussion because no matter what problems we have individually as a nation, we're so blessed that with the exception of Pearl Harbor, we have never but never been struck as we were by terrorists. Everybody in New York and probably throughout the country recognizes where they were when these two planes struck a building and killed so many thousands of innocent people. So, as a result of that, I feel the pain today of the reaction that our country's had in attacking people that they wanted that appeared to be now more political and more retaliatory than being accurate and the right thing to do. And so I would hope that if people truly believe, as I do, that this retaliation could have been avoided and indeed look into the question as to what happened as a result of our attack on Israel. What happened when people who had religious and other disputes for thousands of years uh, decided that they would then attack the United States and other people. It seemed to me that anybody that doesn't participate by registering, by voting, by asking questions are not really involved in the protection of the security of the United States. It was a vicious thing that happened to us. But compared to what has happened to other countries and what's going on today with homeless refugees, God has indeed blessed this wonderful country of ours. We ought to do something to protect it. No, absolutely, uh, Congressman. And uh, uh, we was uh, doing an opportunity uh, to look at some information uh, uh, this morning where uh, you basically fought very vigorously, uh, Congressman Rangel, to prevent uh, the Homeland Security shutdown. Um, of course, that is the Department of Homeland Security was born out of uh, the tragedy that took place uh, in New York City. Uh, what steps, in your opinion, do we need to take as a country, but as a government? Uh, they, there was questions in regards to sharing information between uh, agencies, law enforcement agencies that could have avoided this. What are your thoughts on that? And how do we correct that now, seeing the threat uh, that America faces uh, with other terrorist groups that may want to copycat, if you will, uh, th those uh, those moments and those uh, actions taken by uh, Al-Qaeda? 
We do this by encouraging informed people like you to raise these problems and questions to inform and educate and to get people to ask questions because these are not interesting subjects and sometimes they're not pleasant subjects. But as long as you reach out to those of us who are responsible for the decisions that cause or can uh, deflect uh, these type of international horrific stories, then America would just hope that we do the best we can. People have to ask the question, why? Why did we have to fight for Homeland Security? Why did we have to fight for the funding? The truth of the matter is, Homeland Security had nothing to do with it. It was a polarization of the Republican Party that if they couldn't get their agreement as to the things they wanted legitimately, they would hold hostage to Homeland Security. Don't ask me why they thought that the United States would capitulate because they took away the heart of our security. But let me tell you this. Today, we marked up a bill in my committee. And soon, in October, the first or soon after, we would have reached our debt ceiling, which means what? America, the president would have to ask authority uh, from the Congress to borrow money. If the Congress doesn't give it to him and we default, our economy collapses and the international community that is led by their dependency on our currency will call chaos. Wrangle, are you saying that Congress is going to let that happen? Well, they got to the brink of it before, and as a result of just the threat of it, we lost hundreds of billions of dollars because people refused to invest in America. Well, how could it possibly happen today? We, the Republicans, passed a bill saying that it's to prevent a default bill. Well, then it's not going to happen. All they're saying is don't use the word default. But what does that mean? They say Treasury can borrow more money, but they have to pay back our foreign people who invested first. Well, what's wrong with that? It means that they never considered our obligation to our sick, our poor, our disabled, our veterans, just the people that, that we borrowed money from. Hey, I'll be glad to get on your program when this thing gets on the floor. And then people would say, God, I never thought they would do that in Washington. Well, the frustration that people have with Washington is what creates people like Donald Trump. They don't love him. They're just frustrated with government. i got to run now. But call okay. me back. I'm glad to talk with you any other evening, okay? Thank you, Congressman. thanks for your service. Thank you Thank so much, Congressman. Thank you very much, and we appreciate you, and we will be uh, reaching out to you again. Take care and be safe out Thank there in Washington. Thank you so much. I'll be there for you. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Take care. Congressman. And there you have it, the Honorable Congressman Charles Rangel. Speaking really from his heart, uh, Cliff, we had the opportunity on a number of occasions to talk to Congressman Rangel uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, people may have differences one way or the other with, with members of Congress, but uh, our interaction with the Congressman was 
was really, I thought, very generous uh, and very caring and very concerned about the future of this country. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was there during 9-11. That's his, uh, his district in New York, and he has a passion for not only the law, but for his, uh, for his people, for his state, for his country. And uh, as you said, you know, he was in con Congress for decades and decades and always had a great passion for it. So um, his, uh, his take on 9-11 and what he saw and the aftermath and ensuring that laws stayed in place to make sure that uh, the families of the victims of 9-11 and also, uh, like he stated there, Department of Homeland Security that came about as a result of the attack of 9-11, that these are the things that we have to continue the fight for. And as we say several times on this program, you know, you got to you got to vote. You got to make your voice heard for everything, even, um, you know, when it when because as time as time passes, you get new people in, uh, you get people that um, don't understand or who didn't experience what some of the residents of New York did and just don't feel the way that some American citizens do. So you have to continue to fight the fight to make sure that the laws are in place to um, ensure that we as a country are protected and that we do the right thing going forward, especially for the families of those uh, who lost loved ones during, during that tragic time. Oh, absolutely right. And right now we're going to go to the final uh, sounds of 9-11, and we have a closing tribute to the young lady who lost her father on 9-11. Let's hear the clip. This just in, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. Yeah, now remember, oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Just I didn't see a plane go in. That that just exploded. I, I just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I did that was out of the Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center. Did you see what happened? What happened? Well, I was in the past train, and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone came out. A large section of the building is blown out. Around like said it, uh, they are now saying that a plane incredibly has crashed into the Pentagon. Folks, you're not another aircraft unbelievably has crashed into the Pentagon. This is a preliminary wire. We seek to confirm this, but this word just into us from our newsroom that perhaps another aircraft went in there.
sounds of 9-11, the cries, the screams, the sounds of horror that shook this nation. Right now, the final tribute to the young girl who lost her father. She says goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, the young lady you are about to listen to lost her father on 9-11, 2001. Through the years, one thing remained constant. She continued to miss her father. Here's what she had to say. It's been a year, Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called heaven. Oh, favorite dinner tonight. It was only you and me. And I ate it all up. Young and wild and Even though I don't like carrots. Now nothing can take you away from me. I learned how to swim this summer. We've been down that road And I can't even open my eyes. over now. When I'm underwater. I can make a man back for more. Can you Maybe you're all that I want And you're lying here in my arms Finding it hard to believe We're in heaven It's been five years, Daddy Love is all that I need I'm in fifth grade now Sleep in one of your t-shirts. Oh, once in your life, you find someone. I think it still smells like you. We'll turn your world I don't need to sleep with the light on anymore. Up when you're feeling down. I'm trying not to cry, Daddy, but it still hurts. Now, nothing can change what you mean to me. I really miss you, Daddy. There's a love that I could say. Just hold me. It's been 10 years, Daddy. Baby, you're all that I want. I started high school. And you're lying here in my arms. I made the honor roll. Finding it hard to believe. I hope you're proud of me. I'm also on the soccer team. Love is all that I need. Can you see me on the field? And I found it there. I started thinking about college. It isn't too hard to see. Do you think I can be a doctor? I know you'll be with me when I walk down the aisle. I've been waiting for so long. I try not to be sad. Something to run. But it hurts. Love to come alone. I hope you know you're my hero. I love you so much. Now our dreams are coming true. Can you see me? Can you see me? It's been 
15 years, Daddy. You're all that I want. I'm finishing college. When you're lying here in my I got into med school. Finding it hard to believe. I really want to help people. In you have always inspired me. Love is all that I need. I met a nice guy. And I found it there Who is really special to me. It isn't too hard to I think you would really like him. We talk about our life together. Mom says he's a lot like you. I think about you every day. I'm still sad. But you make me strong. Can you see me? Can you see me? I miss you, Daddy. I really miss you, Daddy. I miss you, Daddy. I miss you, Daddy. Well, that's heart-wrenching. Thought-provoking. What are we going to do? I speak to America, the leaders, the American people, as you wonder what the next step will be or the next act that will happen to strike terror across America. We must join in this fight to keep America safe. We shall never forget, we shall never forget, very special thanks to, again, Congressman Charles Rangel, members of Congress who are affected, we didn't get an opportunity, but we salute and say a very special thank you to Hillary Clinton, a lady who fought for the rights for the families of the victims of 9-11. And to every family member, every child that has grown up now, every mother, every father that lost a son, a daughter, AJC Radio Just Cause Organization, I want you to know our prayers and thoughts continually will go with you as we, as an organization, reflect. I assure you, we remember, and we shall never forget. Good night, America.